Borges. Um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that. Borges. Borges. Uh, there's a. Shall I get you a two bits? I'd like to get you to read before we finish. Um, Great. Here's the bit. Here's the Borges. Did you enjoy your vocal zone in the end? Yeah, I feel kind of good. All right. Yeah. I feel good. And the sun's come out. I mean, it does. That's what happens. You have a vocal zone, and the sun comes out. Where is the Borges? But I put my lovely stickers. Hang on. Yeah. There we go. Would you just read that and then just maybe give s- just some sense of why that's... Imp- it's, it played a real part. It was very moving, and particularly with the, uh, the young boy, Jay, as well, mm-hmm. but just why. Then he would reflect that reality does not tend to coincide with forecasts about it. With perverse logic, he inferred that to foresee a circumstantial detail is to present its happening. Faithful to this feeble magic, he would invent so, so that might not happen the most atrocious particulars. As a as a concept, this was quite um, influential to me in my childhood. I was told this by my parents as a kind of um, a way of reassuring me. I, I mean, to, to paraphrase it very simply, it, it says that nothing will ever happen as you think it will. Um, thus the very act of thinking something stops it from happening um, so but the problem was it, similarly to um, a young very young character in this book it just made me imagine the most terrible things in order to prevent them <coughs> but I also think it works in a different sense to um, for the other chapters and the other characters mm-hmm. in the second section in that for aspirations and dreams you have for for your early adult life not necessarily in a bad way but they will they will not be as you imagine them I think there's, there's enormous amounts of uh, newspaper print expended suggesting that young people today have their fate, their identities you know, I'm not even talking about sort of genetically modified children but, but just that you're making decisions at a very young age about the sorts of Person. I mean, things being expo- uh, imposed externally, uh, particularly what kind of subjects you'll decide, the idea of having a career in itself is, is sort of imposition of a narrative. Do you feel that those kind of pressure yourself? Do you, think, do you have a feeling that your generation um, is being sort of pen- penned in in a way? I think it's ridiculous thinking back um, how young we make decisions about. I mean, like one's GCSEs. I felt such... I mean, I had one of the only panic attacks I've ever had in my life... I mean, proper one um, about the, for my biology GCSE. I mean, what relevance did that have in my life at all? But I sat there for half an hour with my hand shaking uncontrollably, mm. unable to write anything. I don't think that fifteen-year-olds, sixteen-year-olds should have that type of pressure because if, when will anybody ask me what I got for my? I did fine. I got an A, but like, who will event? Who will yeah. ask me ever? Um, although it is important to work hard throughout, I just think that. We're not telling young people necessarily that whatever situation they end up... They should try their hardest, of course, and it's not, you know, me trying to advocate being passive and thinking, oh, well, like, whatever happens, happens for a reason. But I do think whatever situation you end up in, you can make the best of it and turn it around. And it doesn't... You think you're, you think you are an adult and you know things when you're 16. And if there's a 16 year old listening to this, you probably hate me right now. But <laughs> thinking back, like I just, I knew so 
little and I was so young and I do think that the thing you least need there is a huge pressure upon you telling you that the decisions you make and the things that happen to you will colour the rest of your life. Mm. And that's that's the sort of wonderful intensity about being young, but that sense that everything is going to sort of rest on, mm. everything uh, relies on uh, but talking we've, to that like, Today we've created a society which is based on perpetual reinvention. Mm. So it doesn't Because really... of what the social media and... Yeah, uh, I mean, you can just redefine yourself and people, you know, change their careers multiple times. I'm not saying that this necessarily leads to a happier world at all, but you're no longer lumbered with the person you were you can become a new one. I don't think that's necessarily always a good thing because I think there needs to be like a kind of path mm. and continuum through someone's life, but I don't know. I think I'm, I want to have kids, but I'm terrified of the world that they are growing up into. I mean, that sounds... Like, I am 26, I'm not like... <laughs> it's not when I was young. But I do think the internet is... I mean, I love the internet, I'm obsessed with it. I mean, I'm definitely addicted to the internet. Right. But... I was on the train coming actually here a couple of weeks ago and there was a group of schoolboys who were like maybe 11, maybe 12 and they were discussing videos that they'd seen on the internet. There was like a group of eight of them and it was appalling and terrifying. What, can I ask it was graphic porn, it was like um, it was even like snuff stuff, mm -hmm. there was stuff, you know, people being like like really violent things or I mean just terrifying and I'm sure some of them were inventing it still they had it in their minds to invent it anyway and you think like what would I these were boy children I mean they were they were tiny and small and what do you do I mean you you obviously don't want your child to see these things but at the same time you want them to be able to interact with their peers so I mean I can't imagine myself sitting down to watch Saw 8 um, <laughs> with my offspring, but it's just, it's a, it's a strange world. We've really gone off tr track, but I wonder if there's an innocence in this book, partially because it's set on Sark, and someone made the comment that there was very little kind of reference to social media and that mm. type of stuff. Um, maybe that's down to the fact that, you know, the beginning part was written even as early as three years ago. Right. But I do think that maybe there's an... an in the early parts of this book, there is an innocence that maybe, you know, would be impossible in ten years' time, or even now. Because you're just bombarded. You... Yeah, yeah. I sound really depressed now. I feel quite depressed now. I've worked I myself into a tiz. Rosa, so you finished... You're in the, well, you finish your first novel, you're having to put up with all of this sort of nonsense. It's not nonsense, it's really fun, actually. I like it. It's tiring, it's tiring, but... Um, it's because so, I'm old. So what, ne what next? Um, what next? Well, as I said, the second novel is priority, but is difficult, because I think... Um, there's a different level of self-consciousness. If you've already had a book published, there's a sense that it is more likely to... Ha I mean, it's not mm. guaranteed by any means, but like it's more likely to happen. So when one writes, one's writing with a sense of precedent and a sense mm. of decision and not pressure. I don't, think, I don't think there's necessarily pressure apart from from myself. It's hard to strike a balance between 
trying to trying to write everything that might have been wrong in your first novel, make it different enough from your first novel whilst preserving a kind of preserving a voice or a line through a voice. And also and like answering all of your own pressures post the publication of a first novel, the famous like difficult second album, and at the same time not being precious. Mm. So I find I'm finding that hard, if I'm honest. But yeah. it just will be okay. And if it takes like another couple of years, that's fine. Is there any pressure in those those terms that you know now that you've got to have a novel out every year? Well, I don't have no, no, I don't think so. I'm not Stephen King at all, and I don't think that's my own fault. I wish I was Stephen King, but um, I what was I supposed to say? Oh, I don't have like a two book deal or anything. So it's not that there is an, a genuine looming deadline. Mm. Um, and I think I think Virago are very lovely at, as publishers, and I don't think. I think they would prefer me to have space and time to write um, than kind of rush out something that was rubbish. <laughs> but I, I was talking <laughs> to my agent and she said that quite frequently a second novel comes out quite quickly because it was someone's first novel. So they wrote a second novel which gets published and then they kind of revise a first novel. Right. And this, this is my first this novel, is, yeah. so don't have that. And does it help that you have all these sort of other interest uh, there's this rather extraordinary sounding sort of salon slash soiree is this uh, salon slash soiree I quite likes uh, good alliteration in just tell me about that so that's called um, the book club and we've been on a little hiatus Mm -hmm. for a while but hopefully we're going to bring we're going to swing one in before swing slip one in before Christmas um, a Christmas carol themed book club Um, but and this takes place in it takes place in Paris but we've also um, uh, friends of ours have, have, have done sister events in London and Berlin but so the, it's in a very very beautiful bar come nightclub which is in the same hotel particulier where Georges Bizet used to live mm-hmm. so it's called Le Carmen and it's very glorious with kind of gold gilt and ceiling roses wow. and mirrors and it really is very very beautiful I get quite starstruck each time I go in <laughs> but um, it's only very exclusive but on our night you are only allowed in and anyone is allowed in as long as they have a book so we've had up to kind of we've had up to 300 people it's normally less than that but so you come and just you know there's no like speech or anything you just come and you and do you swap you swap books yeah you swap so you bring a book you love and you swap it with books and drink and nice things we've had um, the London one was uh, those guys were amazing in really having superb literary cocktails so a rum of one's own tequila no. things like that we've been a bit slow on that front um, because the bar we do it in has their own very sexualised pigal menu okay. but we have DJs and live music and it's really fun and lots of people Lots of relationships and good friendships have started there. Fantastic. So, yeah. And DJing and copywriting for the well, future? And... Well, the DJing is... Um, it's like a very fun joke thing. I mean, it's a real thing. Like me and my um, best boyfriend do that every, like, few months. Do you do that thing where you have to sort of lean over with your headphones? Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Can yeah, you yeah. do all that totally. stuff? Totally. I mean, but no, we're totally... Um, we're MacBook DJs. Okay. We play commercial hip-hop and R&B and, like, UK 90s Garage, okay. which was... Which, when we bought it, I think we were, like, one of the first people to bring it to Paris, but um, 
Nav kids love it. So. Okay. Craig David's all over their boink. Oh my god! Um, yeah, no, I know. It's Brit. Don't say that. You have to. No, it's really. It, they're really, really, really fun nights in in great bars. I love that. Um, but yeah, that's not. <laughs> I'm not. I don't describe myself as a DJ. I'm an aspirational DJ. I'd like to be a it DJ. Could take over or, from a, a, or a, an estate agent. I've always wanted to be an estate agent, actually. On France. Yeah, I just I'm obsessed with property, so I'd my dream, my dream sideline is actually selling expensive luxury real estate to rich Americans. Hey, what can I just ask you in your in terms of your own real estate? What what is the what is your Parisian Abode. life? Is it is it Trey Garretted? Um, Trey no. Garretted. <laughs> <clears throat> He almost took my breath away with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I live by the Parc de Belleville um, in the 20th arrondissement. Sorry, I slept. And does it, does it help with writing? Does that, in that sort of Woody Allen in movies is always saying, I must move to Paris and be a writer, and it's always a slightly sort of bogus line. Did you see how I just made a noise that was a bit like a kettle? I can't do it again. Oh my gosh. It was just that one moment. It's going to make it into a book. No, I do. It's really good for. I definitely think it's really good for copywriting because I don't think that I would. My selling point is that I'm English and I speak English. So I think that that is. It comes out so that no one goes over suddenly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But. Tierney did it again. That's good. Is it the Mer stuff? Is it the Mer stuff? Maybe. Do I think it's good for... Yes. But I... Yes, because it was. I worry that maybe it no longer is, but I think it's probably just my own... My own kind of temporary writer's block, if that's such a concept that exists, rather than the place itself. I think I might be blaming the place for my own problem. It's not too much of a problem. I think I'll be over it quite soon, but... Final question. So we're in this extraordinary boardroom with a big eye, which has probably been spied on from the shard. Sources, which we can see. We? I can see if I lean back in a way that kind of hurts my ribs. But um, and we're surrounded by books. Is there a book that's caught your eye? Is there a book that's caught my eye? Um, yes. Which one is it? God, I keep on hissing these days. Um, well, I still haven't read *The Goldfinch*. Oh yes. So I, I definitely, okay. I think. What are we going to steal one each? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I kind of want the Yoko Ono one. I think Yoko Ono's got that's got a lovely cover. It's got a lovely cover. It's got an acorn on it. Um, I really liked Mitch Albums. Five people you meet. Oh yes, yeah. I interviewed him. Um, Was he nice? Very, very, honestly, one of the nicest writers. I really? Think Was he a lot ever. nicer than me? Yeah, that's no. fine. I don't mind. I don't no, mind. That's no, okay. Different, I different that. nice. Um, I hate you, Mitch. I also nice really want to read um, Mary Reno's The Charioteer because I read a fantastic mm-hmm. piece, an essay by... Am I making this... Was it Daniel Mendelssohn? I think it was Daniel Mendelssohn, the New Yorker, right. about his... Um, if I've got the, his name wrong, about his relationship with Mary Reno as a young writer and he'd write her letters. Too many books to read and not enough... Not well, the time. We shouldn't have wasted our time talking. We should have taken these. just what's just read for <laughs> live reading. How's it going for you? Read me lines you like. That, w- that would be that would be y- Yoko Enderwood Myers. Here, here's an hour and a half of and then we live can do some reading. Kind of screaming performance. <laughs> I should like that. 
I just wanted to say thank you enormously for coming in today and for sitting. Thank you very much and for taking one of my vocal zones and asking me. Yeah, I'm worried that in about an hour's time. You're going to be a different immigrant. Yeah.